Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, we got a fantastic show coming for you this week. We address Dak Prescott, we address Sam Darnold, we address Deshaun Watson and more in the takeaways. We've got a great guest to help us preview all the craziness coming over the next six or seven weeks. And of course, we get to all your questions in the six pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. We are seven days away from NFL free agency. Things are starting to get a little bit more active. The cap has been set at $182.5 million. That's $16 million down from last year. It's the Albert Breer Show. we got an absolutely stacked program coming for you this week. Another former GM in to talk to us about what's going to happen the next seven days and also discuss the quarterback landscape across the NFL. We'll get to all of your questions in the six-pack, but we're starting with the takeaways First takeaway for this week in the NFL has to involve the Dallas Cowboys, has to involve Dak Prescott. And it's sort of where I, what I want to get to here is how Dak took another step forward last year, and it was a subtle step. And it was a step a lot of people didn't notice because a lot of the news around Dak concerned the way his year ended, of course, in week five with a horrific ankle injury. You know, I, I like I I think the Cowboys should have gone in on Dak earlier. They could have saved a lot of money if they had done a deal for Dak Prescott in the spring of 2019. If they had done a deal for him in the spring of 2020, here they are. They wind up having to give him a massive guarantee, uh, a practical guarantee of 126 million dollars, which is record setting. They wound up having to give him the shorter deal he wanted, a four-year deal. Now, he took a little bit less from an APY standpoint that's average per year, and that'll help the Cowboys manage the cap over the next few years, but they gave up a lot to get him to come to where they wanted to go on that number, and a big part of it's because they waited. Well, I, I understand like people criticizing them for waiting, and they shouldn't have waited this long to get it done. They could have gotten it done at $35 million per over four years last year. So they cost themselves $20 million by waiting another seven, eight months to do this deal. But just to be devil's advocate here, I want to explain sort of the dynamic in the modern era of first of, of rookie quarterback pay and what's that what that's meant in the NFL since the new CBA went in in 2011. Not the most recent one, but the CBA in 2011. And kind of the advantage that's given teams and how teams have attacked this and how some teams have paid for going in early on their guys. 
We've seen it happen with Carson Wentz. He didn't even make it into the new years of his extension that he signed with the Philadelphia Eagles two years ago. Jared Goff, same thing. He signs an extension after getting the Rams to the Super Bowl. What happens? He doesn't make it to the new years of the new contract that he signed two years ago. Dak Prescott, same draft class as those guys. So here's the thing. When you're taking a guy off of a rookie contract and putting him onto the big second contract that every football player is looking for, you change the dynamics of your team. And when you do that with your quarterback, you are trusting that your quarterback is good enough to lift the guys up around him when things go wrong. When the wheels come off, he's got to be the guy who can kind of bring everybody back together because you're not going to be able to have as much depth on your roster. You may not have the backup tackle that you had when he was in his second year or his third year. You may not have the slot receiver that you had when he was going into year three because you can't afford those things anymore because of the cap space that his contract's taking up. So he's got to be good enough to make up the difference. And that's what Tom Brady was for so many years for New England. He was able to make up the difference and then some for them. Peyton Manning did it at the end of his time in Indianapolis. And so what we saw from Jared Goff, what we saw from Carson Wentz the last two years is when circumstances changed on them a little bit, when things weren't as good around them as they had been, it didn't look quite the same, right? So let's go back to that five-game snapshot with Dak Prescott at the beginning of the 2020 season. He reached the point without getting a new contract where his number was substantially different than it had been his first four years. So that, of course, affects the way the Cowboys roster build with a quarterback carrying a number over $30 million. And it manifested over the first five games of the season. They lost Tyron Smith. They lost Lyle Collins. Ezekiel Elliott slumped. The run game wasn't the same. And the defense was an absolute train wreck, which mean, which meant that Dak had to load the team on his back early in the year and carry them and do what a quarterback on a second contract has to do. So this was proof and testimony over theory here with Dak Prescott. Think about this, okay? The first five games of last year, he was on pace for 710 attempts. That was how much they were throwing the ball. He's never had a season with more than 600 attempts. He was on pace through five games. That's even with missing the end of the fifth game for 710 attempts. His passer rating didn't slip. I mean, did, didn't barely slip at all. His passer rating was 99.7 in the 2019 season, 99.6 in the 2020 season. He's also He also threw for 856 yards. That's an average of 371 yards per game. My point is Dak over the first five games of last year showed he could be that quarterback. And the Cowboys got to see... Like, this is what Dak Prescott can be. Dak Prescott can be the guy that can make up for things if we lose things around him, if we have to let a receiver go, if we have to let an offensive guard go to the market, if we've got to do our, if we've got to accomplish some facet of roster building with a little bit less, we now know Dak Prescott can make up for it. And to me, like, that's the ultimate confidence in being able, that, that, that gives you the ultimate confidence in being able to do a big second deal for a quarterback who's coming off of his rookie deal. So I actually think that five-game stretch at the beginning of the year before Dak had that horrific ankle injury, I, I think that there's a lot there. And I think there was a lot there for the Cowboys to look at and say, you know what, there is proof that we can move forward with Dak Prescott 
as the quarterback on a contract that is at market value. And so Dak gets his $160 million over four years. Again, the APY at 40 per is more manageable. Dak could have asked for more than that, no question. But he winds up getting an enormous guarantee, which is huge for a player coming off of an injury, $126 million guarantee. And he winds up with a four-year deal, which means that he'd be a free agent again at 31 years old. They can't tag him. He's got a no-trade clause. Great deal for Dak Prescott. Good deal for the Cowboys. They move forward with Dak as their quarterback, as they had sworn they would do back when he got injured in October. I have a really interesting story with Stephen Jones back then, and he was unequivocal on it. Dak's his guy. He put his money where his mouth is here, no question. Takeaway number two, the some of the financials came out on Wednesday morning, and so now we know what some of the 2018 rookies are going to cost on fifth-year options. Why is this interesting to you? Well, it's interesting to you, or it should be interesting to you, because I'm now looking at Sam Darnold. And as a trade option for someone, you can now get Sam Darnold at $23.562 million over the next two years. It's a little less than $12 million a year. Okay, that's because his fifth-year option was set at $18.58 million. So if he's going to be a starting quarterback for you, you're going to get a starting quarterback at less than $12 million over the next two years. Or you could go forward with him. On his fifth year, on, on the final year of his rookie deal, decline the option, have him for less than $5 million for this year, and then you have the option to franchise him in 2022 at, I mean, probably somewhere around $26, 27000000 million. So you look at where, the, where, where Sam Darnold is right now as a trade asset, and having him at that number, I think, makes him valuable. Now, I'll take you guys through it again. The Jets have been contacted by eight different teams on Sam Darnold. They would like to take a look. They would like to take a look at um, the three quarterbacks that are going to be available to them with the second pick that are worthy of the second pick. Trey Lance throws this Friday. BYU's Zach Wilson doesn't throw until March 26th. Ohio State's Justin Fields doesn't throw till March 31st. So there's a little bit of a logistical issue here where does Sam Darnold lose value if you're holding on to him through those pro days so you can see those guys throw live, which, again, you haven't had the opportunity to do because there's no combine, there are no private workouts. Does he lose value if you hold on to him till, till April 1st, essentially, because quarterback seats across the NFL are filling up? That's something that Joe Douglas has to determine. But if I'm another team and I'm looking at this, I mean, man, like there could be something there. And I really – I'm – I'm not one of these people who doesn't like Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback. I think Jimmy's a really good quarterback. But you look like the Niners have Jimmy Garoppolo signed at $51.1 million over the next two years. And this would give the Niners a chance over a two-year period to get $28 million cheaper at the position or about $20 million cheaper in a single year if they didn't pick up the option. Plus, they get six years younger. And he's a really good fit for your offense. And maybe there's some upside there, and this becomes your long-term guy because he's just 23 years old. Like Again, like for a team like the Niners, I think that would make a lot of sense. Would the Bears look at it if the Russell Wilson thing doesn't materialize fast enough? Would Washington look at it? Darnold's tape wasn't great last year, but a huge part of the problem in New York, they were trying to get a quarterback who was raw to run a very complex offense that puts a lot on the quarterback from a mental standpoint. If he goes to one of these places, like a Chicago, like a San Francisco, 
where they're going to take some of the mental strain off of the quarterback. They give the mic points to the center. They they kind of, they, they send you in with two play calls and kind of a simple read. There's there's all sorts of things that the, that the Kyle Shanahan does offensively for his does for his for his quarterbacks. There's stuff that I think Matt Nagy does that that simplify things for his quarterbacks. Like you could see a different Sam Darnold. And so like I look at like where Sam Darnold is and I look at the, where the prices are going on some of the other quarterbacks. And man, for a two-year look-see to get a quarterback who's still 23 years old, who was a third pick in the draft just three years ago, and could have been the first overall pick. I think a lot of teams looked at him as the first overall pick. And in fact, I remember doing the research back then. There are four of the five teams picking in the top five. The Browns were the only one that didn't fall into this category. Would have taken. It was three of the five teams because the, the Browns were picking twice. But three of the five teams in the three of the four teams picking in the top five had Darnold as the number one quarterback. To have a shot at that kid again at this rate at 23 years old, it does make some sense to me. Uh, takeaway number three. Now I'm going to give you guys. I'm like I'm going to give you guys something for my Monday column. That's going to be kind of a jumping off point for where we're going to go on this. The Texans and Deshaun Watson situation, of course, is at a stalemate. And we know, okay, the Texans haven't been amenable to trade offers, to trade inquiries, any of that. And Watson has basically stonewalled the Texans, saying, I don't want to be here. All right, and we're going to talk to our special guest a lot about Deshaun in a minute. But like, the question, I think, becomes, like, like how is Nick Casera going to approach this going forward? Well, I'm able to give you guys a little insight talking to teams that have talked to the Texans. And the answer I know Nick Casario is giving teams right now, and I'll say this twice, you can ask me about any player on our roster but the quarterback. Again, you can ask me about any player on our roster but the quarterback. I think he's serious. I don't think this changes for a while. Now, maybe he gets close to the draft and it's just so untenable that he that, that they feel like they got him. Whatever. Maybe something like that happens. But I don't think it's in their plan at all to move on to the, from the quarterback. And I'll tell you, if you want to look at the situation across the NFL, it's pretty easy to see why, okay? I went and through all the teams and I knocked them. I, I, I basically wanted to come up with, like, what are the numbers? Like, if you break it down... Like how many teams like are you looking at right now in the middle of March that where you know who the starting quarterback is going to be in week one barring injury, right? I came up with 18, okay? I said Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Tennessee, Colts, Texans. Well, and I take the Texans off the list, I guess it's 17, but Jacksonville, Kansas City, Chargers, Giants, Dallas, Green Bay, Minnesota, Tampa, the Rams, Arizona. So 17 teams, 18 if you include the Texans. Now, of those 17 slash 18, the Texans are one of seven slash eight that has a quarterback on a big non-rookie contract that they wrote themselves, okay? And then you look at those eight quarterbacks, okay, it's Ben Roethlisberger, you'd take Deshaun Watson over him. It's Ryan Tannehill, you'd take Deshaun Watson over him. It's Mahomes. Take Mahomes over Watson. It's Dak. Like, I think that that one's probably close. It's Aaron Rodgers. You probably take Rodgers at this point over Watson, but that might be close based on age. It's Cousins, and it's Brady. And so, like, if you really kind of boil down the, the sort of asset the Texans have into Sean Watson, 
like he's younger, a lot younger than a lot of those guys. He's better than a lot of those guys. Like I look at that list and it's like, like Mahomes, Dak, like other than that, like the guys are either older or not as good as him. And I don't know. I just look at this and it's just, I mean, if you're one of three teams that has a commodity like that under contract, what like that you've like you yourself committed to, you can't just let that go without a fight. So based on what he's telling teams, based on what I know, based on my own common sense about this, like I just, I think that, 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 that I, I don't think Nick Casario has done trying to keep Deshaun Watson a Houston Texan. Takeaway number three, I know what everybody's been saying about the Eagles. I want to say this again. I think they have to take a look at a quarterback with the sixth overall pick. Again, I, like I, I just – this is nothing against Jalen Hurts. Maybe Jalen Hurts is the answer. But this is sort of like what Howie Roseman went through in 2016 when they drafted Carson Wentz. You may remember before they drafted Carson Wentz, they brought Sam Bradford back. In fact, they paid him. They gave him a two-year $36 million deal. They brought in Chase Daniel, who came with Doug Peterson from Kansas City, and then they traded up twice for Carson Wentz. The premise there was you can never do too much to get the quarterback position right. And if you get it right, no one's going to remember how you got there. And if things didn't happen with Carson Wentz the way they happened, like no one would remember like like even as it is, no one remembers this, that that they brought that they brought back Sam Darnold and brought in Chase Daniel that offseason. And so like that's why again I have it on good authority that the Eagles are going to do all of their homework on Justin Fields, on Trey Lance, on Mac Jones, and on Zach Wilson. Does one of those guys fall to them? I don't know. Do the Eagles see one of those guys as special enough to throw into a competition with Jalen Hurts? I don't know. But if you see one of those guys as being that special, take him at six, throw him in a competition, and like let the best man win. There's no price you can put on getting that position right. And I just, like, I don't know. I mean, like, you can show confidence in Jalen Hurts and also provide competition for Jalen Hurts. This is a guy who was benched in the national title game at Alabama who had to fight through an awkward quarterback situation with Tua Tungvaloa there and then went to Oklahoma, had to win a quarterback competition there. This is a competitive kid. This is a kid who can take it, right? And you're going to make both players better, whether like, and I don't think it'll be Wilson, but you know, say it's Fields, say it's Lance, like there's nothing worth more than getting that right. And so if you evaluate the quarterbacks and you decide they aren't special enough or the one that you think is special doesn't fall to you, fine. You move on. Maybe you draft Devontae Smith, maybe you draft Jamar Chase, maybe you draft Panay Sewell, maybe you draft uh, Micah Parsons whatever maybe you do something else right but just based on the importance of that position and how rare it's been that the eagles are drafting this high and howie roseman's 21 years they've only had slotted picks in the top 10 twice one was when they drafted lane johnson in 2013 one was when they drafted Corey simon in howie's first year in 2000 like i i you absolutely have to look at it and i have a good i have it on good authority that the eagles are going to look very seriously at it doesn't mean they're going to do it but they're going to look very seriously at it finally takeaway number 5 it is the buccaneers world and everybody else is living in it and i'll tell you with the salary cap set now we know it's going to be 16 million dollars less than it was in 2020 i think what we're all looking at right now 
is a lot of players doing bridge deals and a lot of players doing one-year deals. And that whole bet-on-yourself idea, it just plays right into the Buccaneers. And we saw this for years and years and years in New England. And so how, how is it going to work out for, for Tampa? Watch. If you're an older veteran at the tail end of your career and there's not great money out there for you, what do you want to do? You want to go ring chase. If you are the 26, 27-year-old middle-class player who's looking for the big second deal, but it's not out there because of the cap constraints, and you have to go somewhere to go prove yourself, where do you want to do it? On the biggest stage with the best players, and that's in Tampa right now. And so I, like, I think what we're going to see over the next two weeks is the advantage that Tom Brady gave the Patriots for such a long time manifest itself in Tampa and a lot of those guys who are going to be looking to do bridge deals, looking to do one-year deals, when the market drops out on them, Tampa's going to be able to feast on those sorts of players. And you just look at it, and it, it's it's pretty easy to see where you know that whole thing, uh, and we all heard it, that Brady thinks that they can be better in 2021. I think we really could see it play out with this advantage that Tampa's going to have from a team-building perspective. And we will get to our special guest right after this. All right, we're going to welcome in a guy that uh, that, I, that I've wanted to get on the program for a while and a guy I've known for a long time. Um, and I think he's going to be able to give us great insight in, in where the offseason is going and, and sort of how the next week or so is going to play out. Um, and he's working with a lot of the kids in the draft now. Um, you can catch him. I think you're doing a lot of serious stuff still, right, Mark? I do, Albert. Yeah, I still do a lot of uh, radio shows, certainly every Friday right now I'm on uh, for three or four hours. So it uh, keeps me busy there as well. Okay, he is ex but that that voice you heard that's ex Bucks general manager uh, Mark Dominic and uh, you know Mark I want to start with sort of the news of the week which is uh, you know what just happened with Dak Prescott and kind of your impressions on the contract you know this was obviously uh, you know done in a different environment than we've seen uh, we've seen contracts done the last few years with the rising cap and always the thought that the next quarterback contract is going to be the you know the the the, the Every every quarterback contract is going to kind of build on on the next one. Uh, this one's sort of different, and unique. So when you look at the details, what was the first thing you thought about how Dallas and Dak finally got to a, got got to a common ground after two years of working on it? Yeah, you know what? I looked at it and said, "Good for Dak." I mean, yeah. here's a guy that said, "I'm betting on myself all the way through," and turns around and is going to end up making more money than I think Patrick Mahomes will make in his NFL career which is a heck of a statement but he's got the early stage of a young uh contract that's only four years with tons of guaranteed money structured very powerfully for the player and i, I just give him a lot of credit and his agent uh you know i think he was working with todd france um yeah. and uh certainly those two took advantage or, or took looked at the situation and this is the thing that players don't understand so many players talk about like i'm gonna bet on myself very few actually do very few right. honestly do you know, because you've got to get not, if you're going to bet on yourself and you're going to get paid to the elite amount, you've got to understand you're probably going to have to play through a franchise tag at least one time. And you look at Kirk Cousins, you're like one of the richest quarterbacks in the NFL. And yet, you know, uh, it's amazing considering the accolades that Drew Brees has had. Drew's certainly high played or, or, you know, made a lot of money, Tom Brady. But Kirk Cousins isn't that far behind. And you sit there and go, how could that be? It's because of the way that he went about free agency and the way he attacked it. And so for Dak, 
Um, I thought the contract was very strong. And, and I think Dallas looked at it and goes, there's a lot more clubs out there that need quarterback than we expected when we started this negotiation. And, uh, you know, I think that allowed him to have that leverage piece of the unknown, which is every general manager's nightmare at this time. <laughs> well, it takes a lot of stomach for a player to do that too, right? Because this isn't basketball. Like, it can be over really quick. And Dak experienced that, right? Like Dak, I mean, there he is on the cart um, in week five. And like, I'm sure that had to, I mean, maybe he won't admit it now, but I'm sure that had to run through his mind the amount of money that might be going out the window at that point. So like, I, like I think it's different football too, right? Like guy actually having the stomach to say, you know what? Like, I think I'm worth more than they're offering me. And I'm willing to bet my health that that happens. Yeah, I think you can see that. I think you can see it in every sport. I understand in baseball and certainly basketball, you know, you've got guaranteed contracts in your set. But Tatis, if you think about the baseball player, he had to say no to what, $150 million, $200 million, $250 million, $300 million. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that of, that's incredible. And so I think in this kind of situation, um, yes, uh, every player realizes that, you know, you could be one snap away. We, we saw it, sadly, with Ryan Shazier a long time ago or a while ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, it does happen to players. Sometimes it's a chondral defect. Sometimes it's different than what something so obvious that, that, that happened to Ryan. Um, but at the same point, um, you know, we also see players that are, are, are getting frustrated with their contract. Like I'm going to sit out because I'm undervalued for what I am and what I'm bringing. And that's because they're like, I didn't go all the way. And we see this too, you know, clubs uh, are doing it rampantly right now. You're seeing restructures or pay cuts. As soon as you don't play to the performance level, boom, they come in and it's like time to take your money. <laughs> and so I think players got to understand that, look, you got to go for it. And I think that not enough players, quite frankly, now this is awkward for me, right? I'm the GM, the former GM, but I think yeah. more players need to push themselves to free agency because I think you'd be surprised what you're worth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too. Cause it's like, you know, you, you look at like, so you look at where the quarterback market's going now and I, I think a lot of like, and this is how we'll sort of segue to the quarterback discussion like guys are recognizing their power and their leverage even while they're still under contract now, right? Like, and you see what Deshaun's doing. He signed that contract six months ago. Um, you see what, you know, you see obviously what Russell Wilson's doing and pushing buttons in Seattle. And even like an Aaron Rodgers, like it feels to me like Aaron Rodgers is like, like it's not even subtle, like overtly putting pressure on his team. Like I want you to operate with the same, you know, urgency that Tampa's acting with and putting guys around Tom Brady. So, like, do you think what we're seeing with the quarterbacks is a change in the way the NFL business is working now? And maybe, I guess, like a realization by guys at that position, like, I have very real power here and I can make things happen if I'm willing to kind of play with sharp elbows a little bit. No, I think you're right. And I think we've seen uh, that starting to work a few years ago. I mean, you start thinking about, Jalen Ramsey and just, I don't want to be here. Or Yannick Ngakwe, I'm tired of being there. We've seen other players that have some real collateral sit there and say, put their foot in the sand. And then what's happened is the clubs have said, okay, you know what? I give. And unlike where Houston is right now, uh, Nick Casario and company are like, you know, we're not listening and we're not picking up the phone. We're not going to do anything. But because players have done it, it's whatever you want to call it, the James Harden effect. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you can – be loud enough, be strong enough, be confident enough, and inevitably you're going to push yourself out of the organization, or you can. And I think for clubs, that's a very uncomfortable situation because at any moment, uh, could Patrick Mahomes next year be like, you know what, I don't want to be in Kansas City anymore. I I'm out. 
it's not like him. You wouldn't think so, but this isn't like Deshaun Watson either. Like that, I know Deshaun Watson in terms of like having spoke to him before and, and being around him and then certainly hearing from other people when he was coming out of college and in the NFL. And so, uh, you know, you can see that, you know, there's frustration boiling, uh, but the power of this situation is that they have a little bit more leverage, a little more control because clubs are uh, agreeing to it. And we've seen it again at other positions and now it's becoming even more, uh, significant at the quarterback position. Well, because you were in that seat, how do you handle it now? Like, if you were in that seat again, how would you deal with this? We had Mike Tannenbaum on last week, and he talked about how, like, if he was Clark Hunt, he would, like, make a point of, like, going out to lunch with Patrick Mahomes every three months, like, like, like almost like a, you know, hey, you okay, buddy? Everything all right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, one of those. Uh, like, how, like, like, based on, and I'm sure it was different, you know, you obviously – when you were in, when you were in Tampa, you drafted a quarterback in the first round, Josh Freeman. But I think things have changed quite a bit since then because of the things we're talking about. Like if you're Nick Casario or you're John Schneider right now, how are you handling the quarterback in, in maybe a way that's different than a GM would have handled a quarterback ten or twenty years ago? Well, I think it starts with uh, uh, Nick Casario probably. Uh, certainly, his situation. I know John and Russell have been tight for a long time. It doesn't yeah. change it, Nick it would be right off the bat reaching out. And I think Houston misplayed this thing from the start. If you're going to say you're going to have somebody involved, you need to have somebody involved. If you're not, you're not. And it would have been very easy for Deshaun Watson just to go to dinner with Nick Casero real quick and just be yeah. like, hey, come by here and have dinner. This is one of the guys we're considering. We've got more. And then you go back to Deshaun's like, hey, you know what? There's three teams pursuing Nick Casario. Like, we've got to make a decision tonight. Like, what do you think of him? And he could right. be like, you know what, he's cool, but there's other guys. Well, he hasn't met anybody, but at least Deshaun would have been around and felt part of the process, uh, like you said he was. And so then now you're Nick Casario and you're in the situation today. You're and I think out of the bag now. You can't do. You can't rewind that. You know. <laughs> yeah. Now what you've got to do is you've got to talk to Deshaun about your, your plan, and and I think you got to open up a little bit more than you ever would have as a GM before, and sit there and say, here's what we're going to do. Now I know we don't have draft picks, or I know we don't have this kind of collateral. But here's what we're going to have to do with some players. And here's what we're going to do. But the whole goal is to build this football team around you. And you know that. And I wasn't here for Hopkins. I didn't do that. You know, I'm not going to give away our great players. I know that we're going to have to make a tough decision with JJ just because of where we are overall and where the cap is going to be at. But I also want you to know that this is our plan. Like, I got you a tackle. We've got the two young guys. We're going to go spend money maybe at guard or center and free agency and really solidify this line. And then we're going to do this. And then we're going to do that. And then that's our goal. And then we're going to work on the defense. But our goal is to surround you with talent here and stay here. Give Coach Coley a try. You know, for me, uniquely, I, I, when I started with Tampa Bay, Coach Coley was on our staff in Tampa Bay a long time ago. And so <laughs> I've known him for whatever, 25, 30 years for Coach Coley. And so give him a chance, you know. And I would leave voice messages. I leave texts like, just come meet Coach Coley. You don't even have to meet. At some point, you got to remove yourself because you might be – like Nick Casario might be the reason why things aren't going so smooth because he felt jaded that he didn't get to have a say. So yeah. remove your like, hey, look, it's this isn't about me, Deshaun. This is about Coach Coley. At least come in and sit down and talk to him for now. Like, what, what can you tell? What can you tell people? Like while we're there, what can you tell people about David Coley? Like in the way you think he'll handle this, and the way he'll be able to navigate this? Because everybody and I don't, I actually don't know him, um, but I, I I know a lot of people that do know him who, and it seems like everybody, everybody seems to love him. Like like just as a person, everybody really really seems to like him. Like knowing David, then like how do you think he goes about handling this, and how? 
is he going to be good for the Texans in this sort of situation that's so unique and different and I, like almost like borderline unprecedented in the NFL? Yeah, I think Coach Coley, number one, is a very positive person, uh, but he has his limits, too, where he gets frustrated. He has no no problem getting into a player when he needs to, but his mind mentality at the beginning is, I'm going to like this person. I'm going to like you. That's, that's, that's who he is to his core is, I'm going to give you a chance to prove me wrong, not I'm coming in like, I'm not sure about you, I'm not sure about you. And that's the unique thing I think about Coach Coley is that he has that kind of disposition towards other people that he automatically is going to assume good things about you until you let him down. Uh, I think that's the, probably the number one thing. And I think the players will see that and feel that when he goes up in front of them and talks to him about what his plans are for this football team and what his goals are. And I do think his coordinators are going to be very important because I think coach Coley is going to really need to focus on being the head coaches, certainly mm. with or without Deshaun Watson uh, at the helm. Um, I think in this situation also uh, coach Coley, uh, could have other people be reaching out. Like this is another angle I would take as a former GM or as a GM. I would have other people that know me, whether it was Nick Casario, whether it was uh, certainly David Coley is have other people reach out to Deshaun and go like, Hey, that's a good guy or former or NFL so players, players is what you're saying, right? Like fine. But, like that know who their character are and say, you know what? He's not what you think. I mean, imagine, I don't know what Nick Casario and Tom Brady's relationship is, but imagine, yeah. imagine if Tom the phone said, you should at least talk to this guy. He's not that bad of a guy. I think right. Deshaun looks at the call and is like, oh, okay. Like that's the angles you've got to use. Have players talk to players. So I don't know if Houston's done that. My gut is they haven't, but that's what I would be doing. Okay. The You mentioned the Seattle situation being a little different, obviously. So like if you're John, like, and, and this is difficult because it's like, you know, like the GM, I, I know in a lot of cases you got to be the bad guy, right? Like, so, like, I know there's sometimes a hesitance to bring a player in and make him part of the decision making process, but I know Russell signed off on the hire of Shane Waldron as their offensive coordinator. Like, if you're John, how do you handle this with Russell? And, like, where do you draw lines? Like, how can you draw lines? Yeah. John, as you know, is a pretty straight shooter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You got a good sense of what he's thinking. And I know, and I'm certain that he and Russell have a very strong relationship based off mm -hmm. of him drafting him and knowing what that bond is when you draft a player with the with your organization and when he comes out to be a player like Russell Wilson. Um, again, it's it's got to be within the communication of like, what do you want? Like, what are we not doing? If you think about John Schneider, he's invested so many draft picks in the offensive line. I mean, it's been one of those things where if you just go back over the last five, six, seven years in terms of whether it's Dwayne Brown trading for a guy or actually drafting offensive linemen, uh, you know, if that's where your concern still is, then we're going to continue to work on that and we're going to get it better. Uh, that's our goal. And, uh, you know, obviously with Coach Schottenheimer, things didn't work out and Waldron's there now and hopefully you like this. So um, I would just be, I would, I would just invite him in and just like, Russell, just unpack your bags. Like, let's just talk through everything. Like, I'm fine. Like, and and because he's your quarterback and, and the unique thing is that as we're seeing with Dak now at you know, 40 plus million dollars a year or 40 million a year. Um, you know, you're the GM and you're sitting there making three yeah. in Schneider, three and a half. You're like, you know, who's, who's really. <laughs> yeah. Is this so, the, like the, the tail wagging the dog? Right. <laughs> yeah. So you got to understand like this guy's selling the tickets. Like you're not, you, mm -hmm. you, as much as you've got to have that control and that certainly that understanding, like in the end, I have to make really hard business decisions. That's what this whole thing is. But 
unpack your bags in my office. Like, let's literally sit down and like, let's go through the roster. Let's talk about players. Let's talk about the coaching staff. Let's talk about the personnel department. Like, what are the things about Seattle that you feel aren't supporting you the way that they were or had been in the past? And let's get back to the root of the whole thing. So let's say, hey, these are the four things we need to work on and let us prove it to you. You know, and you can see it by our actions. That's what I'd be working on. So I like I in both cases, I've noticed you didn't say I'd look at trading them. <laughs> like right like so like that would be uh, like it seems like it sounds like you'd be a long way right now from thinking about trading either of those guys it's so hard i mean i think so many clubs yeah. that have the quarterback there i mean green bay thinks it's easy right i mean they're yeah. like wow Brett Favre than aaron Rodgers. how hard is it to find a quarterback you know but when you've been with an organization that hasn't um and you see the the journey it is and how the the playing field is so leveled against you when you walk on the field you're like imagine us like when josh freeman was playing really well yeah. Uh, the field was close to level, but it wasn't level because it was Cam Newton, Drew Brees, and Matt Ryan. So even yeah. that I had a quarterback that had actually threw for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, you still walked on the field and go, we're at least a touchdown underdog because our quarterback's not as good. And, yeah. and it's hard to consider trading those guys. Um, you, know, it's, you know, Deshaun, uh, you know, people have asked me recently, like, what would you give or what would it take? And I've been kind of around the – it's four ones or it's a player in combination because, you know, it's going to take at least that to try to figure out if I can find another one. And if I do, if I don't, let's say I miss, you know, there's a good chance as a GM, you're going to get three if you're lucky and you might be out before you even find the guy. And that's, that's not, that's illogical too. I mean, Nick Casario took the job because I think of Deshaun Watson, you know, I think he's like, that's the job I want because they're the ones that have the best quarterback. And that's the smart thing to do as a GM Mm -hmm. is like, circle around and go, where's the best quarterback? I can remember Coach Dungy talking to me a long time ago uh, before he took the Colts job. And it wasn't like, I influenced Coach Dungy. Let me take the step back. I was- <laughs> yeah. But I remember him asking me about, you know, he had some opportunities with Carolina or with Indianapolis. And and Carolina had the great defense right there. And I said, Co-, the only thing I said is, Coach, it's up to you, clearly. but Because I used to do the advanced reports for all these clubs. I said, but, you know, they have Peyton Manning. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, I know, you know, he's just, he was just almost like a grin. Like I already knew what I was going to do. I just kind of like talking to you, but uh, you know, it's that, that thing that everybody looks for is like, if you, you want a job because there's 32 of them in the NFL total, uh, you yeah. understand as a head coach that every year, six to eight guys are going to get let go. So right. look for that. And I think that's the hard reason why it's, it's hard to trade those guys away. I even look at like Tampa now and it's like, you can literally get players. Like no one was going to Tampa on a discount last, like two years ago. Right. Now, I mean, with all these one-year deals that we're going to see over the next few weeks, like how many guys are going to be there to ring chase or to maybe kind of like try to improve their stock? I mean, they're going to have the advantage now that New England had for 20 years, right? Like that, like, like Brady basically took that edge with him. Like, okay, like all these players want to play with me, so we're going to get them cheaper in New England, and now that applies in Tampa, it's like, like, which is an amazing advantage. Yeah, Levante David took a, a fair deal, but it wasn't like – Bobby Wagner money, right? It right. was it was a fair deal. Um, to your point, like let alone the fact that Tom Brady's there and just won a championship, you look at this for roster and you say, okay, they should be able to do it again. But then, oh yeah, as a club or if I'm the lead negotiator in Tampa, Mike Greenberg, I'd be like, we have no state taxes too. Don't forget that. Like yeah. there's there's other benefits. <laughs> we, bring. we have a dome, but we also play outdoors. We we practice on grass. You know, your body's going to be in better shape. I mean, there's a lot of things you're going to use besides the fact that. That, that number 12 is there, which is obviously the key ingredient to cheaper contracts. Okay, last couple of things then before we get you out of here. 
What do you expect over the next? We know the salary cap set now. That just came out, hundred eighty-two and a half million, which is I think sixteen million under what around sixteen million under what it was last year. Um, what do you think the next? I mean, it's I guess eight days now, seven days until the official open. Uh, seven days until the official open of free agency. What do you expect over the next week? Yeah, I think you're going to see more and more names uh, get let go. I think you're going to mm-hmm. see more and more veterans uh, get squeezed. Uh, meaning take the pay cut or we're going to have to let you go and go see what it is. And the scary thing is the closer as a veteran you get to free agency and not getting let go and you get let go the day or two before, the more you get lumped in with a lot of players and therefore it becomes a lot harder to get a contract. I think the smart thing if players have the opportunity is signing the one, one year deal, uh, maybe two year deal at the most and trying to get yourself back into the market next year. Uh, and it's a, it's an unfortunate time. If you're a good football player, you're going to do still good. You're still going to do well, as we saw with Dak Prescott. And I think there's a handful of those guys that are going to do really well in free agency, just like because there's going to be clubs that can pay. But in the end, if you're a mid-tier player, you're, we're going to see a lot more names that we recognize, Albert, uh, and go, wow, okay, that's interesting because you have no choice. With the drop like it is, it's unprecedented. It's difficult. It's everybody's trying to navigate towards it. And this is what People thought one eighty two point five is painful uh, for oh, organization. It's tough and for uh, like, and you guys sort of faced this in twelve and thirteen, right? Like, or, like the the cap was flat before the TV deals kicked in. And I remember there was one year when there was one year actually when the bottom dropped out on the corner market, which is in, insane to think about. Like that's a premium position. And I remember like Talib and Rogers Cromarty took one year deals and cashed in the year after. So like, this isn't unprecedented for some of the veteran GMs, right? Like they've, they've sort of went through this, whatever it was eight, nine years ago. Yeah. I, I would like to sit there and say, there's a lot of those guys. There's not a lot of those veteran GMs around anymore. It, <laughs> yeah. or, as we saw this last off season, what was it? Six GM jobs open. So that's right. incredible. Uh, the amount of turnover at that position as well. But yes, uh, we've seen it before. Um, but when you drop a cap and you're, 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 you know, you're going, we always used to look at the cap and go like project three, four, five years out. So you could kind of get a sense where you were. Um, and then COVID hits and you're like, well, well, but you know, that wasn't what we thought. We were just kind of mildly moving the cap like 5 million a year or something like that. Now we're dropping yeah. it back. Team. That's really difficult. Like watch out, here we go. And I think that it's no surprise that most of the clubs that have the room are the guys that don't really have their quarterback settled yet. Uh, and that's that's going to be the thing that you've got to work through at each club. Okay, last thing then. Because, and I don't know how many people know this, but you do, you're do doing a lot of work with the kids in the draft now. And I think you've prepared, I mean, like a dozens, I don't know if hundreds, like whatever it is, whatever the number is, a lot of kids um, for the draft for certain agents. And, you know, I know you worked with the Exos people at the Combine last week. Um, this is a different year. What have you noticed about the kids that you've worked with this year who have been through so much, who had their last year in college amid COVID? Some of the kids didn't even play last year. They have no combine. Like, just give me something that you've noticed about this draft class that's maybe different um, than any group of kids you've seen come through before. Yeah, well, I would say that this class has been, you know, the easy word is resilient, but I think that, the, you know, having spoke and worked with almost 100 players individually uh, out of this draft class, whether it's what I think is going to be the second or third round pick, third, second or third pick overall in the draft to a guy that might go undrafted. Um, you know, these guys have made really good decisions off the football field, uh, meaning, uh, you know, the drinking, the drugs, those kind of things seem lower. I, met, I think in this class uh, alone, I think I've met more players and having honest conversations with them that have never smoked or drank in their life. Or if they have, it's been 
one time in high school, one time. And it, it, they have no reason not to tell me because that's what I'm here for. I'm helping them understand how to interview properly and give themselves the best chance, just like I would want my son, right? If my son was going right. out for a job, I'm like, hey, good luck, buddy. Go go knock that 15-minute interview. Hopefully, get a job. I work with these guys and, and put them in different situations, different kind of questions and sit there and say, okay, why would you answer like that? Like, what are you thinking? A simple one, Albert, uh, is like, you know, t- tell me what sports you played in high school, right? And they'll be like, well, I played basketball, I ran track, and I played football. No, that's the wrong answer. Like, it's the truth. But as an NFL person, I want to hear you played football, then basketball, they're in track. And in basketball, I was state champion basketball. Like we ran state champion football. Like there's a way to sell yourself in an interview to take advantage of this little bit of window. And I think for clubs, this is brutally hard this year uh, to be able to understand who the character of these young men are because you have almost no access whatsoever to them. And so you're going to see clubs that are extremely conservative that you're going to say on draft day, like, I can't believe that guy's still on the board on the third or fourth or fifth round. And it's because clubs are like, I don't know. Like I right. literally don't, and I want to take him, but I'm going to take this guy who a lot of people say isn't as good a player, but I also know what I'm getting. At least I think I know what the, the floor is. And I think his character is going to help the ceiling instead of the guy that's like, Ooh, there's a lot of potential here, but boy, there's a lot of risks. We don't have all the answers we usually have. Yeah, it should be fascinating. Okay. He's Xbox general manager, Mark Dominic. You can catch him on Sirius XM. Tell where else can they find you on on Twitter? It's at Mark Dominic NFL, I think, right? Yeah, I do stadium sports. Uh, also, I do shows for television, stadium TV, and then uh, then I do my own uh, private stuff with NFL players as well. So I stay and still watch tape every day and stay involved in the game every day. So I love it. But I appreciate you being me on. Hopefully, next time I can uh, join you a little bit longer, Albert. Awesome, awesome. I really appreciate the time, Mark. All right, thanks to Mark. That was fantastic. We're going to jump into the six-pack. You guys know how this works. Every week I put the call out for questions on Tuesday on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours, you get an answer here on the podcast, and you get a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart. And if I don't get to your question here, there's a good chance I might have gotten to it in the mailbag. So be sure to check that out on the MMQB.com as well. Question number one for this week coming from Patastrophic at 23, Coffee NW. Is it possible to build a pass rush in this year's draft? It's kind of a funny year, catastrophic when it comes to that. The defensive tackle group is a little lacking. I don't think that's any secret. The edge rusher group is intriguing, but there is a lot of, I would say, raw athletes that maybe have a ways to go. Now, the one name that I think doesn't fit into that category is a kid from Georgia named Aziz Ojulari. Very productive, more polished. Um, I think like pretty well coached where he's coming from. And so he's somebody who maybe isn't the athlete the other guys are, but is a really, really good football player. But then I think you're talking about guys like Kawiti Pay from Michigan, Greg Rousseau and Jalen Phillips from Miami, and Jason Oway from Penn State. Is these guys that are sort of these supercharged athletes where the question is going to be whether or not you can turn them into something that they weren't necessarily on tape. Pay is very interesting to me because I think he's going to blow his pro day out of the wall. Like, like just, I, I like just an, an insane athlete. And the best way to illustrate that is to tell you the story that he apparently had a top three, three cone drill time on Michigan's entire roster. Now, like for a defensive end, for like a 270 pound defensive end to have a faster three cone time, than almost the entire receiver room, than almost the entire corner room. And I don't know what the breakdown was, but 
to, for him to be doing that, like, which is a short area, like agility drill at a faster time than like basically like the like at a place like Michigan, the rest of the receivers, the rest of the corners, like it's just, that's crazy. So, and he's got an awesome story. He's an awesome kid. He just, he needs more polish. So I think when he blows that out of the water, he's going to wind up going in the top 15 and maybe the first of these kids to go. Greg Rousseau was an opt out. He's really interesting. Athletically got everything you'd want. Jason Oway had zero sacks this year, but apparently can run in four threes as a defensive end. And that's what I'm saying. Like all these guys have like athleticism that's going to jump off the page. The question is kind of how you look at them and project them as pros. And so I think a number of those guys are going to go in the first round. If you're looking to build a pass rush for 2021, though, the question becomes whether or not you're going to be able to get those guys ready to go fast enough and get them in a place to produce fast enough um, to be contributors as rookies. Question number two from Guilty as Charged Podcast. That's at GAC Podcast 17. What will the market be like for players like Gabe Jackson, Larry Warford, Nick Martin, Austin Ryder, John Feliciano, etc.? Not top-tier guys, but solid interior starters that are available. This is the sort of area of the market where I think we could see guys affected. Now, you know, I, I like... You guys know the top guys that are going to be out there. Joe Tooney is going to be out there. Corey Lindsley from Green Bay, the center, is going to be out there. Those guys are going to get paid. I think this is like where you could find, if you get the right guy, your bargains. And so, like, like you said, like an Austin Ryder, the Chiefs center, John Feliciano, the Bills guard, Nick Martin, the Texans. Like these guys could wind up being in that range where you can get a guy maybe on a one- or a two-year deal at five or six million per. So guilty as charged podcast. I'll give you a gold star. It's very perceptive of you to be looking at that, especially because it looks like you're a Chargers fan. And that is an area where the Chargers could definitely use some help. Question number three from you said, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name here, Koshul, that's at you said Koshul. Updates on Russell Wilson, chances of a trade are the Bears calling the Seahawks. Yes, the Bears are calling the Seahawks. Updates on Wilson. I think the best way to put this is, that relationship is complicated. It's in a weird, weird place. And really, I think a lot of this is going to come down to whether or not the Seahawks are sufficiently fed up. And the problem with the list that he, that, that Russell Wilson gave the Seahawks is those teams really don't provide Seattle with a clear path towards replacing Russell Wilson. And if you're the Seahawks, that's a real problem. <laughs> you know, you got a 70 year old coach, you got a roster that won 12 games last year. Are you really willing to go into the quarterbacking abyss? These are that upset about now, based on everything that I know about that situation, where it's been. And look, there's a lot of history there. Go back to the contract negotiations when Russell apparently wanted a baseball contract, the issues he's had with the scheme, the issues he's had with the offensive line, the friction with the Legion of boom guys. There's a ton of history there. The Seahawks are a little sick of dealing with this on a year to year basis. The fact that it went public is a problem. And I know Russell feels like maybe there's a place out there where they can get more of him as a player. I think he's also sort of looking at the platform, like look at the teams he suggested, the bears, the Raiders, those are like brand name teams. So I, I think that's sort of where it is. It's like, are the Seahawks, is that relationship at the point where it's going to break apart now? I think he's probably signed his last contract in Seattle. He's got three years left on that deal. 
do they get rid of him? Do, do they trade him next year? Do they trade him the year after? Or are they at the point where they trade him right now? Like, I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but they're not hanging up on teams that are calling. I just kind of keep an eye on the Saints here. I like, I'm just telling you, like, they have been like they've been creative in the past and I wouldn't rule out a swing at quarterback from the saints. Their draft capital is lacking their, their cap space is lacking. You know, they've been creative in getting these sorts of things done in the past. Just like sort of keep an eye on them. Question number four from Bryce Anderson at Bryce Anderson, 88. What is the league's opinion overall on Sam Darnold? The opinion on Sam Darnold is a, his tape last year was not very good. B, He's very raw. As a, he was very raw as a prospect coming out and needed a lot of work based on the offense he was coming from at USC. And I think a lot of people make that mistake in thinking that USC is what it was when Carson Palmer and Matt Leinart and all those guys were there when Mark Sanchez was there. It's not what it, it, like Sam Darnold wasn't running a pro style offense there. So he's raw. He came into the league raw. And I think he needed a lot of work and he would tell you that. And, you know, number three, you know, kind of connected off of that. Like the, the offense he was running the last two years wasn't a great fit. So what you're dealing with is a guy who's very physically talented, talented enough to be the third pick in the draft who could probably use, like I said, off the top, going to a place that's going to get him playing fast. And we've seen what it can do for young quarterbacks in the past. Like the jump that Jared Goff made from year one to year two playing for Sean McVay because they simplified things on him because they got him playing a little faster. Like I like that's where it is for Sam Darnold for me is can you get him playing a little faster? Question number five uh, comes from Joey at Yoey Berg. Who do you see Urban Meyer targeting and free agency? Any reunions with former players? I actually do think that there could be a couple of reunions with former players cooking, and I'm going to give you two that I think are sort of interesting here. And I think it's important for Urban, too, to bring in guys who have benefited from playing in his program because those are the guys who are going to be able to most most effectively sell his program. I'll give you one on each side of the ball. On offense, I'm going to give you Curtis Samuel, who is a, going to be like a near the top of the market receiver, a guy who's going to get paid. One of the most important things, one of the most important might not be the word, maybe one of the biggest innovations that Urban Meyer uh, made in his time at Utah and Florida and Ohio State was the creation of this slash position, the Percy Harvin position. It was the H-back in their offense. And they had Percy Harvin play it at Florida. Curtis Samuel was that guy at Ohio State. So I think right off the bat, like he gives Urban an element to his offense that Urban's always wanted, kind of the guy who's the hybrid receiver running back. So I think the fact that Curtis has that experience like to me makes all the sense in the world. Urban likes him personally. So that would make some sense. And then I think on defense, keep an eye on Malik Hooker, Malik Hooker. And look, like I know he hasn't played to expectations. He's been hurt a lot, all the rest of it, the last four years. But this is a guy who, I mean, put together a season in 2016 at Ohio state that I think was as well played as any college safety has ever played a year. And Urban was his coach. And if you go back and you look at some of the stuff that Urban said about him back, then you see it. So if he can have him for 5 or $6 million a year, right, for the next couple of years, I think Urban takes that swing. And so those are two names that I would definitely take a look at. Obviously, he could bring in like an Alex Smith as well as a guy who could be like one of these, one of these like sort of program messengers um, in the building. 
but I, but those are guys that I think are are definitely like those three guys: Alex Smith, um, Curtis Samuel, and Malik Hooker would be three guys I would think would be in play. You know, maybe if like for some reason Marshawn Lattimore became available in trade, if the contract negotiations didn't go well with the Saints, like like maybe that would be somebody to take a swing on. But I think you're kind of barking up the right tree here, Joey. Where like really a lot of this is going to be about, uh, really a lot of this is going to wind up being about bringing in guys who are the right source of program guys for him. Finally, question number five, and this is from our buddy Don Ridnour. That's not who you think I am on Twitter. Don, always appreciate you listening, reading the mailbag. Don's question, the best player for the Cowboys at 10. We started the podcast with the Cowboys. We'll end the podcast with the Cowboys. I think it's got to be an offensive lineman. Um, if either Rashawn Slater or Panay Sewell falls to them. Tyron Smith's been hurt a ton and is expensive. Zach Martin's getting a little older. You know, I think they've got Lyle Collins kind of in the middle of his career. They built great teams around the offensive line in the 90s. They built great teams in the offensive line over the, around the offensive line over the last seven or eight years. And so I really think that, that taking an offensive lineman at 10 is going to be on the board for, and an idea the Cowboys will look at. And Rashawn Slater would be perfect because he's got inside-outside flexibility. Maybe he's eventually a replacement for Tyron Smith, but you could start him at guard. So he'd be one. Panay Sewell, I think, is one of these guys that, it, like, if because of the maturity issue, he slips a little bit. Like, that's somebody I think you would definitely look at scooping up. If the value isn't there on the offensive line, I think corner would be another obvious place to look with somebody like Patrick Sertan or Caleb Farley. Appreciate you guys coming out. Uh, you guys know where to get me, and you guys know that I do value your feedback, and I want your feedback, and we are going to apply your feedback into adjustments we make to the podcast. Again, I heard the complaints about the music, so uh, we're going to continue talking about that. You guys can get to me on my social media, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. You can also leave your, leave your feedback, and this would be really helpful, on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. That helps everyone find our show. And if you're finding my show, you should be finding the other MMQB show. So it's not just this show. It's the MMQB podcast, with, which Gary hosts on Mondays. It's also the Weak Side podcast that Connor and Jenny have. You can find us. You can find them. Find everybody. On Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows, we are there. Same time next week. It'll be free agency. We'll see you guys then.